Here we are in James uh, chapter 5. Let's read verse 9 together and uh, set this up. And boy, this is just again, just something we really need to have before us. It says there, do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Boy, it's a fallen world that we are living in. And at times, people, are you ready for this? People are going to do you wrong. Has anyone here ever been done wrong? I think we could uh, collectively at all, all at the same time, we could raise our hands. Be careful though, because I might ask next, have you ever done anyone wrong? And it should be a collective raising of the hands, right? See, not only are people going to do us wrong at times, yes, I'm going to say it, there's going to be times when Christian brothers and sisters are going to do you wrong. And again, we could ask, have you ever done a Christian brother or sister wrong? And in this world that we're living in, when the enemy of our soul is running amok, and so much wanting to bring confusion to situations, there's going to be times when we think or conclude someone has done us wrong when they have done nothing of the sort. Has anyone ever fallen to that place? Has anyone ever concluded you've done them wrong when you did nothing of the sort? That was the farthest thing from your intentions and you were accused of something you didn't even do. Listen, with all these scenarios, either way, whether someone did you wrong or you think they did you wrong, and in reality, they didn't do you wrong. Regardless of all that, listen, what are you going to do when you're done wrong or feel like you have been done wrong by somebody else. Listen, our natural response, not the response of the Spirit of God working in us, but our natural response is to complain against them, whether it's verbally or in our hearts, to grumble against them, whether it's verbally in our hearts. And then as a result of that, we bear a grudge against that person or persons as we Stand in that unforgiveness and a root of bitterness begins to set into our life and grow down. And listen, roots of bitterness brings tons of damage. It hinders our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. So with all this said, listen, ask yourself the question, did you come to church today with a grudge against anybody? Have you been grumbling against anybody? Maybe you said, well, I didn't come with one, but someone's, you know what, snubbed me in the foyer and I got a grudge against them now. <laughs> it happens, doesn't it? We already read and we're going to see in our passage that we are called not to grumble or bear a grudge, grudge against anyone, especially a brother or sister in the Lord. And we're going to look at why. And boy, there's a lot of reasons why. And we'll look at some reasons scripturally as we take this just kind of as the hub of the wheel and the spokes go out. But James' main point here is that lest we be condemned or we're judged by the judge who's standing at the door. Now, praise God, bearing a grudge is not the unforgivable sin. And praise God that when we come to Christ, we're no longer under the law, but we're under grace. 
But listen, just because we're under grace doesn't mean that there aren't practical judgments in our life. And we're going to see when we bear these grudges and we walk in unforgiveness, we're not found in abiding in the Lord Jesus Christ. And really the judgment is, as we cleave on to that thing, it's toxic in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it, it hinders the fruits of the Spirit of God from coming forth and the power of the Holy Spirit working through us. We really move from being a vessel of honor to a vessel of dishonor. These are weighty things, especially in light of what James has been talking about, that behold, the Lord is coming soon. And our lives are very short. And so let's dive into this and dig deeper here. Again, verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brother, lest you be condemned. Behold, <coughs> excuse me, the judge is <coughs> standing at the door. Now to grumble, it means to sigh, to murmur, to pray inaudibly. And listen, this isn't talking about silent prayer before God. It's talking about underneath your breath, talking. It means to move with grief, to groan, to bear a grudge, or to sigh. It seems like my household were a, a household of sires. We all kind of have this bad habit if one of us offends another in our home. Anyone ever offend you in your home? It happens, right? That we have a response to kind of breathe heavily at that person. <sighs> and then the response always is, did you breathe at me? <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter what I did to make you breathe. Did you breathe at me? And it's interesting, as I read this, I just laughed to pray inaudibly, to sigh, to groan. It's really the picture of not only in our hearts grumbling or complaining against that person, probably even more so in the text here, it's the picture of bearing a grudge. Of, of, of again, that heart not only of unforgiveness, but now you're even set against that person. Interestingly, on Wednesday nights, as well as in my devotions, we're going through Exodus on Wednesday night, and that's where I am in my devotions. And boy, if you've ever read the book of Exodus, you get into Numbers, you read more of it as well. Those books of the Bible where the children of Israel out there in the wilderness, you talk about a grumbling people. I mean, just full of a big old grudge. And boy, poor Moses, boy, he just bears the brunt of it for 40 years out there. Here they are, a people that have been enslaved for close to 400 years under the oppression of the superpower of Egypt. They begin to cry out of, in what the Bible calls the iron furnace for a deliverer, and the Lord raises up Moses. And listen, it wasn't just, hey, I'm going to raise up this young guy and as a teenager, he's going to come deliver you. Moses went through really essentially 80 years of training for this. 40 there in Egypt. And some people say, well, those were the good years. Listen, he had a lot of trials there in Egypt growing up in Pharaoh's household. Tough thing when you're growing up there and you have a heart for the people of God and you're trying to figure out what am I supposed to be doing and then from there 40 years out in the wilderness just thinking man I'm on the shelf now and it's over 
God shaping him and molding him and teaching him, getting stuff out of him that needed to be gotten out of him and so forth. And then the Lord calls him again from that burning bush to go back there to Egypt to demand Pharaoh to let the people of God go. So he shows up there. Aaron, his brother, comes to meet him. He says, listen, the Lord's appeared to me and it's time for our people to be delivered. And he's called me to go into Pharaoh to say, let the people go. But God had already told him, Pharaoh's not going to let him go. And there's going to be a series of the plagues come and so forth. But not only when he lets you go, will he let you go, they're going to drive you out of this place. They're going to say, be gone. And so he shares this with Aaron. He shares this with the elders. They are all fully bought in. They bring it to the people. And the people are bought in. So he goes there into Pharaoh and he says, hey, listen, it's time to let the people of God go. And Pharaoh just looks at him like, <laughs> he says, who are you and who is the Lord that I should even listen to you? Well, Moses had asked the Lord, well, what if he doesn't listen to me? What should I do? And the Lord says, take the staff in your hand and throw it down and it will become a serpent. And Moses did that at the time when the Lord told him, and indeed it became a serpent. Moses was like, oh, and then he grabbed it by the tail, and it became a staff again. A miracle. Show him this miracle. And no doubt Moses is thinking, dang, he's going to see that and say, let the people go. Well, Moses goes in, and he throws his staff down, and it becomes a serpent. And again, Pharaoh's like, and he calls his witches out, and they throw their staffs down, and they become serpents as well. And Pharaoh says, listen, you're wasting my time here and you're wasting the time of the people. Because you've done this, I'm going to require the people to have their same quota of bricks, but we are no longer going to provide straw for them. They have to go get their own straw. They need to find it themselves. And this is a tactic of the enemy. We talked about this when we were here in Exodus, how the enemy wants to get us so focused on work that we pay no mind to God. We're so busy here doing all our stuff, we don't have any time for God. And he uses that tactic. After he says that, Pharaoh turns his back and Moses' staff or serpent goes and it swallows up the staffs of those witches. And there was a message sent there, but they're like, Pfft. So again, Pharaoh gives that decree, you need to work more. Then in Exodus 5.20, notice the people, it says, then they came out from Pharaoh, and they met Moses and Aaron, who stood there to meet them, and, and said, and they said to them, Let the Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. And immediately this grudge comes in their heart, this grumbling against Moses, who's been led by the Lord to let the people go. And listen, this will immediately begin to blind you and make you short-sighted because they were already abhorrent in the eyes of Pharaoh who not only had oppressed them, but had killed their firstborn or their male children for many, many years. But when we get full of grudges and we get full of bitterness, confusion comes in and we start labeling oftentimes the enemy is for us and those that are for us as against us. Confusion sets in. Moses goes to God and says, what have you done? You've, you've brought us in here to kill us. And God says, just slow down. I already told you this was going to happen. Get up and do what I told you to do. And through a series of plagues, just as God said would happen, because he says the Egyptians are going to know that I'm God. 
eventually through the shed blood of a lamb, they are delivered. And not only do they leave, they're driven out by the people. They are given gold and silver for all their back pay of 400 years of being slaves. And they go out of there, they're driven out. And then lest they go to war and are defeated or have to fight the Philistines and they're fearful and they go back, God sends them by the way of the wilderness. And they end up being up there against the Red Sea. Meanwhile, Pharaoh regrets the fact that he let him go and he raises his army up and they go out to try to destroy the Israelites once again. It says they cried out to God and then in the next breath they complained against Moses. Exodus 14, 11. Then they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, you have taken us away to die in the wilderness. Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? No, that's not the word. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians that we should die in the wilderness. Again, when they were in the iron furnace, they cried out, we want to be delivered. Moses cries out to the Lord and the Lord brings in a cloud of glory. It's his darkness to the Egyptians and light to them. And then he says to Moses to set to, you know, to hit his staff down there upon the Red Sea and it splits open. The wind comes, the land's dry, they go through. And then a greater miracle, the Egyptian army comes in behind them and it washes the army away and they are delivered. And you would think at that point, okay, all of the grudging and all the complaining has been washed away. There'll be no more of that, certainly. And yet you begin to read from there and it's situation after situation after situation where these people are short-sighted, full of grudges, full of complaining, full of grumbling at every single turn. And with their complaining and their grumbling, there's plagues that break out in their midst. Because again, when we walk with a grudge, when we walk with grumbling, we're not walking with thanksgiving. And as followers of Christ, plagues break out in our heart. It may not be like the plagues in, that they saw with fiery serpents and whatnot, but it's a plague spiritually that quenches the work of the Spirit of God. Roots of bitterness set in, and what becomes to, begins to come forth is not of the Lord. It's toxic. It hinders our walk with the Lord. It hinders, again, our ministry and our witness and so forth. Not only do the people complain time and time again, but then the leaders begin to complain and grumble. A man named Korah raised up 250 other leaders, and they come against Moses. And the earth ends up opening up and swallowing them. And then even later on, Aaron and Miriam, who the Lord used to help lead Israel as well, complain. Moses' brother and sister against him. Because after his wife dies, he marries an Ethiopian woman, and they don't like that. And leprosy breaks out in Miriam for a week long. And this just happens over and over and over again. And see, all the while... God was wanting to bring them into the land of milk and honey, but instead they spent 40 years in the wilderness because they grumbled and they complained and they did not walk in what the Lord had called them to walk in. And when we grumble and we complain, and then we justify it and say, listen, my situation is different than others. It's okay that I stay in this place. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you are not going to go into that land of milk and honey of the fruits of the Spirit of God and the power of God. You are going to dwell in a wasteland. The Lord said, if you abide in me, 
you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And we are not abiding in the Lord when we have grudges, when we have a complaining tongue, when we have unforgiveness in our life. How can we say we're abiding in him when he has forgiven us of all of our sins? Eventually, they come to the place where, again, there's no water once again. And Moses, who it says was the most humble man upon the earth at that time. By the way, Moses is the one that wrote that. (laughs) It's scripture, though. They come to a place, and once again, there's no water, and the people begin to complain. So he goes to the Lord, and the Lord says, speak to the rock, and water will come out. And Moses comes out from talking to the Lord, and he says, you stinking rebellious people. Now, I'm embellishing that a little bit, but it's implied in the text. You stinking rebellious people. And instead of speaking to the rock, it says that he took a staff, and he smote it two times. He just cracked this thing, and water came gushing out. And then the Lord says to Moses, because you did not obey me, I told you to speak to the rock, because, but you struck it. Because you did not obey me, you will not take this people into the promised land. And see, there's something for us in that. Because sometimes we're the people that endure, and we forgive, and we don't bear grudges. But we say, I'll do this up to this certain point. But what you, once you cross this certain line, now I'm justified because it's happened so much. But we got to learn. Moses wasn't justified in that. Maybe that's where you are today. You haven't been the instigator, but it's happened to you over and over and over again. And now you've come to this place where you feel like, listen, it's justified. I've forgiven seven times 70. I'm at 490. Now we're at 491, so I'm good. Let's not fall into that. Because listen, just as there was a grumbling, stiff-necked people there in Exodus, there is a grumbling, stiff-necked people today. Listen, this is a grumbling, grudge-holding, thin-skinned society that we are living in. Where everybody seems to be so easily offended and so quick to bear a grudge against others. For so many people, that's actually their gospel, which isn't a gospel at all. They base their righteousness on how much people offend them. And the more they're offended, the more righteous they are. We can't fall into that. We looked at this last week where it says there concerning the end times before the coming of the Lord. Matthew twenty four ten it says, then many will be offended. And we saw really that's implying apostasy. They're offended from the truth of the scripture. But there's also a application of just people are so easily offended by others you don't agree with me then i you're a, uh, you're an offense to me and i'll have a grudge against you because you don't agree with me they'll betray one another they'll hate one another and there's so many folks running around with hate towards others because they feel like they've been offended or someone's done something wrong against them and now they're justified in that and listen, we are not justified in that. We can't go along with that. We have to rise above the temptation to grumble and bear grudges. And listen, believe me, you are going to be tempted. Listen to Leviticus 19.17 through 18. This is applicable to us today. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. 
He says, listen, and not bear sin because of him. How many times has the case been where someone sinned against you, and instead of forgiving them, we bear a grudge against them or we grumble against them, and now their sin is birthed sin in our life. And now that sin is in our life, so listen, there's a lack of kindness now, a lack of joy of the Lord because we're not abiding in the Lord, and then whether we know it or not, we go in the flesh and we offend somebody else. And then what do they do? Instead of forgiving us, they do the exact same thing. And before you know it, it's just a toxic situation. Leaven going forth, just spreading. Don't let someone sin against you bring forth sin in your life. And again, so many times we'll hold on to that thinking this is the safe place to be when it's not. Steps of faith, again, are steps of faith. I got to trust in the Lord. I need to lay this down versus holding on to it. Notice as well, he said, you shouldn't hate your brother, but you should rebuke your neighbor. And listen, there are times when we're sinned against or there's a simple situation where we need to deal with it. We got to go to that person. Now we'll talk about the balance of this in a second here. But listen, there are certain sins. The Bible at times talks about certain gross sexual sins that were in the church of Corinth. They said, you got to go deal with this. You can't just turn a blind eye to this. If you do, it's going to spread like leaven. There are certain egregious offenses and so forth that have to be dealt with because if they're not dealt with, they can spread and cause great damage and stumbling to others. And this is where we have to be mature about it. Get the log out of our own eye. And we got to go to that person or those persons. Versus just stewing in the grudge or unforgiveness. We get instruction in Matthew 18, 15. It says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go to him and tell his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. If he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. If he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you as a heathen or a tax collector. And again, there are certain things that need to be addressed. And if there's something you need to address with somebody else, get the log out of your own eye first, get your heart right with the Lord, and then go to that person. We'll talk more about that here in a second. But listen, hear this. There are so many other things that we need to learn just to let go. I praise the Lord when I read the Gospels and I see that Jesus didn't run around nitpicking everybody. Can you imagine if he nitpicked everybody? He knew everything going on in everybody's life. And he could have walked around just shredding people, pointing out the error in their faults and their offenses against him at every single turn. You know anybody like that? Are they a joy to be around? It's not that that was a justification for their sin. But the Lord knows we are but dust. And even as followers of Christ, we are a work in progress. And again, there's going to be times when we offend one another. 
whether it's deliberate, deliberately or undeliberately. I have no doubt there are people all over our community this morning that should be in fellowship somewhere where the word of God is being taught, but they are not because they went to church and they were offended by somebody. And they're like, I'm never going back and now I'm justified, never going anywhere again because I was offended at church. It's going to happen. Deliberately, probably more often than not, than not undeliberately, you're going to be offended. Heck, if it's not someone out here, it's probably going to be me offending you from up here. And you better differentiate between God's word offending you and me offending you. But listen, I know I'm a little different. I'm a little rough around the edges. I've given illustrations, though, before, and people completely took it out of context and decided I was picking on them. It's going to happen. And are we going to be so thin-skinned that at every point when we're sinned against, we either bear a grudge or we go around just, you know what, being the judge and jury trying to set everything in order, or are we going to learn with so much of this, we just need to forgive and let it go. This is what long-suffering and bearing with one another is because we're a work in progress. Praying for those people. Listen, Exodus 15, we're coming to this, the Lord willing, Wednesday night. Verse 23. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter, therefore... The name of it was called Mara. Mara means bitter water. They were not very creative in what they call things. And notice 24, surprise, surprise, and the people complained against Moses. They grumbled. Again, another grudge came up saying, what shall we drink? So he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. It's not by mistake that it was a tree he threw in there. What was Jesus Christ crucified? Was he not hung on a tree? There are so many times in the midst of being offended where we just need to say, you know what, I'm going to throw in the tree. I'm going to throw in the cross. I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to bear with them because they're a work in progress. And newsflash, so am I. So are you. Again, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And let me ask you this morning. If someone felt like you did them wrong, how would you want them to handle it in regards to you? Wouldn't you want them to either A, come to you and give you an opportunity to explain yourself or to repent? Or, listen, would you not want them just to forgive you and be long-suffering with you? Because, listen, there's probably more disappointment to come. Right? Right? Would you want them, though, to bear a grudge and begin to slander you, pointing out the fly in the ointment of your life? We wouldn't want someone to do that to us, so let's not do that to others. And yet again, there's so much of this grudge-bearing and grumbling today, and we live in a culture that, that, that fuels it continually. I mean, if you watch secular media or the things, you know, going on and Secular Hollywood, even, you know, in music and in 
athletics, boy, isn't so much about, oh, this person's got a grudge against that person. And everyone's entertained by it and they want to come watch. We're also being indoctrinated by it. Listen to 1 Peter 4, 7, down through verse 11. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Is that not awesome? Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. And listen, God doesn't grumble. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And listen, grumbling and complaining does not bring glory to God. It's not a state of thanksgiving. Listen to Colossians 3.13. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against one another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. And it goes on here a few verses down and talks about being thankful. And again, hear this this morning. If you do not want to forgive, if you want to bear grudges, you want to grumble, you're pushing away thanksgiving and being thankful to the Lord. And listen, that's going to give birth to a darkness in your life. Listen to Romans one twenty one. because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Bearing grudges, not forgiving, grumbling, complaining. It will give birth to darkness. It will give birth to foolishness in your life. Discernment's going to go out the window. One of the gifts that God gives to us is the joy of the Lord. We bury that. It's going to hinder the fruits of the Spirit of God coming forth in our lives. We've got to remember in the midst of this, in the midst of being done wrong, which you will be done wrong. You're going to be offended. People are going to do things to hurt your feelings and say things about you and so forth. We've got to remember Romans 8, 8.28. We know God works all things together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. God's even in the offense against you and allowing it to happen to shape your person and your character. Not allowing it to happen so we go into grudge mode and we go into this place of saying, this is my safe space over here. I'm going to not forgive and this is how I'm protected. Because not only you're not protected there, now you're being victimized over and over again. And again, it's going to bring forth a root of bitterness and many people are damaged and hurt by that. Now he says again, do not grumble against one another, brother, unless you be condemned. And then he says, behold, the judge is standing at the door. This is being said to put a fear of God in our hearts. A lot of people don't like hearing about the fear of God, but we need to have a healthy fear of God. This isn't a fear that involves God doesn't love us. He does love us, but God, again, is the judge. He's out the door. Listen, growing up, me and my brother got into a lot of fights at different times. And these weren't just verbal fights and exchanges and a little push and shove. It was like MMA, take the gloves off. We're, gonna, we're throwing down here. 
bare-knuckle brawls that destroyed the house. But I'll tell you this, none of those fights ever broke out if my dad was standing at the door. No way. Never, because listen, we weren't that stupid. Now, I might try to bait him under my breath to swing at me if my dad was at the door, but no way am I throwing the first punch. Because back then they had something called the black belt. And no matter what we're doing, he's taking that off and we're just, we're going to get jacked right now. He's going to open a can on us. And do we not discipline our children again out of a love for them? Now, I'm not saying open up, take a black belt and open a can out of anger or whatever else. We need to, but absolutely, we need to lovingly discipline them. And the people that say that don't do that, listen, that's a doctrine of demons. You don't discipline your children, you're listening to doctrines of demons. They need to have a respect for the law. They need to have a respect for others. If they don't respect you who they don't see, how are they going to respect God whom they don't see? You're setting them up for an eternity in hell. But absolutely, fear there because the judge is at the door. And James is trying to put a fear of God in us that we are going to give an account for our lives. The word condemn means here to be judged, to try, to condemn, to punish. The bottom line, he says, if you bear a grudge against one another, you need to understand, behold, the judge is at the door and you're going to be found guilty with a punishment. You're like, oh, not me. I'm under grace. I won't be punished for these things. Praise God. If Jesus is your savior, you are under grace. But practically, listen, he is our Lord. He is our father. And every loving father disciplines his children. And practically in our lives here on earth, again, if we want to bear grudges and grumble and bear unforgiveness, we will not be found abiding in Christ. How can we say we're abiding in Christ? The Lord's forgiven us, but we won't forgive someone else. Are we abiding in Christ? No, we're abiding in ourselves. All of a sudden, we've set ourselves up above God. God's forgiven me of everything. He's even forgiven, again, the person who sinned against me. Whether they accept that forgiveness or not is on them. And now all of a sudden I'm over here and I'm above the Lord, but I won't forgive them because of what they did to me. They spat in Jesus' face. They nailed him to the cross. And what did he say? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Now, whether someone wants to humble their heart and receive that forgiveness or not is on them. And if they don't humble their hearts, then they are still in their sin because they are unforgiven and they are in a place of blaspheming the spirit of God. But again, there's a judgment there. Revelation 3.19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. If I said, hey, do you, love, do you believe the Lord loves you this morning? I'd probably get a hearty amen. Do you know the Lord rebukes and chastens those who he loves? Oh, uh, you know, we're not going to. And again, in our lives practically, listen to Galatians 6.7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will also reap. And there's so many people walking around, there are these Sleprock Eeyores grumbling and complaining at every turn, and they're wondering why doors don't ever open for them, because listen, no one likes being around that. It's not attractive. 
And some people do this. I ran into a lot of Christians who, it seems that they do this out of thinking it's some place of holiness or self-righteousness or something. And there's nothing holy about it. It doesn't represent the Lord. There's also, listen, the judges at the door, no doubt for the believer, there's going to be a loss of eternal rewards there. We're to do what we do out of joy. God loves a joyful giver, right? Whether Whatever we're giving, our gifts, our talents, he loves a joyful giver. And if we just want to give while grumbling and complaining and bearing grudges, you ever run like, into anyone like that in the body of Christ? Boy, they're a real servant, boy. But if they just lost that chip on their shoulder, they'd actually be nice to be around. And then again, for the unbeliever, I don't even know if this is an issue. They just need to get saved. If your faith isn't in Christ this morning, you're in your sin. You're under the law of God and the law of God condemns you. You fall short of God's perfection. Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. He paid the penalty for us at the cross of Calvary. The wages of sin is death. He was buried in a grave. He defeated that when he rose from the grave. And we are saved when we acknowledge our sin We turn from our own way and we put faith in Jesus Christ to be the Lord of our life, to be the shepherd of our life, so to speak. If you don't know him, you need to get born again. But again, when we grumble and we let it stew, we're going to be found guilty by the judge. And none of us can say, but I'm justified in my grudge. We're not. And hear this, listen. When we grumble and complain and we bear these grudges, we're not just bearing it against that person, we're bearing those grudges against the judge who's standing at the door. Because ultimately all our complaints are against God. They really are. Our grudges are against the Lord. Exodus 16.8, Moses said, This shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and the morning bread to the full They were complaining because they wanted meat out there in the wilderness. But then he adds here, for the Lord hears your complaints which you make against him. And what are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. A man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps, right? There's going to be times again where we go through trials and situations as a fallen world. The Lord can prevent those things from happening. He allows them to happen for a reason. He's wanting to work good in our lives. Sometimes those things are just tests to show us where we are at in our walk with the Lord. And when we begin to complain about it, ultimately we're complaining against Him. If you've got a grudge against someone this morning, that grudge ultimately, in a way, is against the Lord. So again, don't grumble against one another, brother, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. We complain. It's ultimately against God. Hear this as well. Listen, we're so often guilty of doing the very thing we charge others of doing. Listen to Ecclesiastes 7.21. Do not take to heart everything people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. For many times also your own heart has known that even you have cursed others. Here's the judge right here where they're... You know what, maybe we even call out the judge. Listen, they did this to me, they did that to me, and so forth. And we're holding this, this standard that we're guilty of, you know what, doing the same offense to others over and over and over again. How do you think a judge is going to take that? 
Who amongst us is perfect? Who amongst us doesn't offend somebody else? I guarantee you, if you think I don't offend anybody, you probably offend more than the average person offends others, because that's an offense. Listen to James 3, 7. Every kind of beast and bird and reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our God and Father. With it, we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth produce, produce blessing and curses. My brother, these things ought not to be so. And then Jesus said in Matthew 15, 19, out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and blasphemes. I can't believe they said that. I'm offended. But what's coming out of your mouth? I can't w- believe they feel that way towards me. While well, we're feeling that way exactly towards them because they feel that way towards us. Yet somehow over here we're justified in that. Again, this is an application a proper one, Matthew 7, 1. Judge not lest you be judged, for with the judgment you judge, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now we talked about righteous judgments and unrighteous judgments, but it's an unrighteous judgment to hold people to a standard that you don't keep yourself. We get this mindset at times thinking, listen, if anyone offends me or thinks anything about me that's bad, I can hold them to a standard I don't hold myself to. And that's a real dangerous place to be. Because Jesus said in Matthew 6, 14, we're almost done here. If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I know people grapple with this. They put their faith in the Lord. They've trusted in the Lord. In that, again, they're not under the law. They're under grace. And they read this and they say, boy, does this mean if I have a grudge against someone, if I die, I'm going to go to hell? Listen, if you're in Christ, you're not under the law, you're under grace. We have security in what Christ has done on the cross, amen? But you need to know this. Listen, if you hold that grudge against that person and you don't say, Lord, I forgive them, then practically there's sin in your life. You're not allowing the Lord to take it away. It's there. Their sin has brought forth sin in your life. You've got to say, Lord, I forgive them to get that out of your life. And if you don't, that's going to be there. That sin of unforgiveness will be there. That grudge will be there. That grumbling will be there. And it's not going to bring forth the fruit of the Spirit of God. It's going to bring forth toxin that's going to be to your detriment. Now listen, this is where so many people say, I want to forgive him, but I don't feel I can. How do I do that? When I think about them, I just get angry or I'm hurt. And I know, listen, there's some folks that bring wounds that are so deep. And so hurtful. They victimize other people, listen, in ways that is horrendous. But I want to encourage you this morning. No matter what's been done to you, if you do not forgive, you will continue to be victimized by that person or that act over and over and over again. Do not make unforgiveness your refuge. Make your refuge the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And hear this as well. There's a difference between forgiving them and forgiving them and taking note of them and staying away from them. Listen, when David fled from Saul, God commended him in that. God didn't say, David, you need to forgive Saul and stick around while Saul's chucking spears at him trying to kill him. But we got to forgive. This is what I encourage you to do biblically. We got to take our thoughts captive. Every time you're tempted to be to not forgive that person or have a grudge or they come up and that hurt comes up with that, you got to say, listen, here are my feelings, but I don't acknowledge them as right. The Lord's forgiven me. Lord, I forgive this person. Lord, help me to forgive them right now. I need your help right now, Lord. My feelings are wrong. You forgave me. I want to forgive them. I want to be freed from the clutches of being victimized by them. I forgive them, Lord. Take your thoughts captive. Just because you have a feeling, listen, it's only valid or it, it only sets, you know, we, we have a choice whether we want to acknowledge it is right or not, right? You say, I'm not going to acknowledge this. This is wrong. I forgive them. That's how you begin to get the ground back. That's how you get victory over that. Eventually, your feelings will line up with the scriptures of God. And then he says here again, behold, the judge is standing at the door. And again, it's implying here that, listen, Jesus is coming soon. The judge is at the door ready to return. It's also implying, listen, the judge is at the door and he sees everything. And there are certain sins we think are hidden from God. Sometimes it's a grudge. It's a, it's a grumbling under our mouth that we don't express, but it's there. But the judge is there seeing it all. There's nothing hidden from his sight. And so this is being said to stir us up to know, listen, the Lord's coming soon. He sees it all. I want to lay this down before him because I'm going to give an account of my life before the living God. And listen, I don't want to stand before him and he say, Listen, I forgave you a lifetime of debt, yet you went out and found that person that owed you a day's wage, and you choked him out. Jesus tells a parable of that, right? He says, you're an ungrateful servant. And there were consequences for that servant. Listen, all this is being said to us this morning to free us. To loose us from bondages. What are we going to do with it, though? Well, I encourage you. Don't leave here saying, I'm the exception of the rule. Don't leave here saying, but you know what? I'm under a harsh taskmaster, therefore I am justified in having a grudge against them. Don't leave here saying, but I am married to, you know what? A spouse who is a heavy-handed, they're out to get me, so I'm justified in it. Don't leave here saying, but what was done to me should have never been done to anybody, so I'm justified in it. We're not justified in it. As grievous as the sin may be against you, lay it down before the Lord. Don't abide in it. Listen, if you make the, 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 again, the place of refuge, a grudge of forgiveness, that is not a refuge of life. It's a refuge of death. You're abiding in a graveyard. You're abiding in a house of horrors. There are things around every corner wanting to destroy you. Leave it today. Come out. Put it at the foot of the cross. Get before the Lord. Let the Lord free you this morning. 
Listen, I have no doubt there's people here this morning. They got these things in their life. It's holding you back. It's taking away your joy. You got to take a step of faith today and trust the Lord. I'm praying that through the word of God that's been proclaimed, faith is being birthed in our heart to do this. Trust in him today, amen? He will go before you. He absolutely will. Let's stand up and close in prayer. Oh Lord, we bless you this morning and how desperately we need you, God. All of us in this room, in this fallen world, Lord, we offend and are offended so much. Forgive us today where we have not forgiven others. Forgive us today of our grudges. Forgive us of our grumbling. Can we say amen to that? And forgive us, Lord, where we have done the same to others. I would pray this morning, God, that you would soften our hearts and thicken our skin. Give us a deeper measure of long-suffering and patience with one another. Not turning a blind eye to leaven that needs to be addressed, but let us, Lord, address it when it needs to be addressed. Going to individuals and let us address it all continually through prayer. Ministering to one another, encouraging one another. And going forward in the fellowship of the brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, even this morning, Lord, where there needs to be forgiveness, I pray we would step in that, step forward in that, and then, Lord, there could be healing, God. There could be amending that would be of the Spirit of God. A work that only you can do, Lord. We need your help. Listen, if you don't know the Lord, I shared the good news with you. The bad news is our sin separates us from God and puts us under condemnation. The good news is that Jesus Christ has made the way of salvation through the cross of Calvary that we talked about. If you don't know him, call on him today. Humble your heart and put your faith in Christ and he will meet you where you are. He'll wash you, he will cleanse you. After we close and worship this last song, the altar will be open. And this morning, if you call upon Christ, I want to encourage you to come forward. And there'll be folks up here that will pray with you. They want to put a Bible in your hands and just encourage you in your walk with Jesus. And others this morning, if you need to pray with someone, I want to encourage you to come up. If you just want to come pray here alone or there in your seat on your knees, do that today. Respond to him today. Let's lift our voices to the Lord.
Hey, God bless you in the Lord Jesus Christ. Have a wonderful day in Him.